Welcome to Transforming Education, Leadership Lessons. This podcast is hosted by Northwestern College. We're bringing you thought leaders who are influencing education and the world around them. Each episode provides new leadership lessons so you can learn how to embrace your own influence. Leadership has nothing to do with title or position. That leadership has to do with impact. And the role of a leader isn't to create followers, it's to enable more leaders. Take away leadership qualities that inspire. I think good leaders really get people brought together around a cause and can inspire them to be better than they were yesterday or to do something great. Care about others. We need teachers out there that are caring and compassionate and are interested in the student beyond the discipline that they're teaching. Show people they matter. We don't have a bullying problem. We don't even have a gun problem. We have a mattering problem. By knowing you matter. You matter to yourself first before you can matter to someone else. So further your impact. When you just authentically love your students, I just don't think you can help but grow. Understand your core values. You can tell pretty quickly any core leader, whether or not he or she is there for the mission at hand for the people that they serve or whether they're there for themselves. And align your mission. Everything we do on campus, whether it's someone in the maintenance department or someone teaching in the classroom or to coach, uh, it should tie back to our mission of impacting students for the cause of Christ. Discover how to use your influence to inspire others. That is why the relationships is so critical in everything we do, because when people know you care about them, they know yet they have your best interest, and then it sinks in. Let's welcome our host, Gary Richardson. As Leslie mentioned, my name is Gary Richardson, director of the Masters of Education program and instructor in the education department at Northwestern College. I want to thank you for listening to Transforming Education Leadership Lessons, as I know that you have many options and your time is valuable. And because of that, we bring in thought partners to inspire and influence your leadership. This episode, we will be discussing leadership lessons for school administrators in Iowa with Dr. Rourke Horn, Executive Director of School Administrators of Iowa. Rourke has taught language arts at Jessup High School and then followed as their high school principal. Dr. Horn then went on to lead two districts as superintendent of schools, Northeast Hamilton and Hudson Community Schools, followed by five years serving as the chief administrator for Area Education Agency 267. Rourke has been the executive director of School Administrators of Iowa since 2015. Rourke leads Iowa's school administrators through legislative issues, new standards and requirements, and is regularly called on by the governor's office to provide input on educational issues. We welcome Rourke Horn to our podcast. Yeah, thanks, Gary. Thanks for having me, and thanks to the audience for listening in. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. I know that you've been spending some time attending statewide virtual administrator meetings in regard to this whole pandemic. So, Rourke, what are the biggest concerns that are facing school administrators during this time? Well, Gary, I think I can wrap it up in one word, but then I'll expand, and that's the unknown. Things shift as of March 15th. The world is new to school administrators, and things shift on a constant basis. So we've gone through several cycles of, you know, do we close schools, and what do we do about standardized testing, and then what do we do about teacher contracts, and what does that look like, and then what do we do about learning, and then we got more clarity on what was going to happen to schools for the rest of the year. So all those except the testing uh, recycled and people had to rethink all the decisions that they made in the first round of closures. That was kind of the first round that people were dealing with. And then 
lately what's happened is, you know, people are figuring out how to, how to close down schools and try to stay with some of the traditional things such as graduation and what that looks like. Prom was in, in April sure. and early May was an issue for school administrators at the secondary level. I mean, there are a lot of things to think about in, in this kind of whole new environment because in, in education, we're based on face-to-face -face contact and now right. all of a sudden that's taken away. Now, in the, in the, at the time that we're audioing this podcast, people are thinking about, well, next year, and then what does that look like? And there haven't been a whole lot of knowns presented to school leaders, and that's justifiable. I mean, you just, you don't know the virus is in charge, right? Right. There haven't been a lot of knowns that have let us know exactly what we do, you know, right on down to the when. You know, usually by this time, the when and the who for just school districts are determined. You know, you know pretty much who's going to be teaching next year and leading, and you know when you're going to start. And districts are still in the process of figuring out both of those things, much less how to go about doing it. So I wrap that up conclusion, and there's so many unknowns and so many things that you spend time doing, and then a couple of days later, that whole concern is off the table for one reason or another, and then you have to deal with a whole other group of concerns. Right. Do you sense, Rourke, that in talking with school administrators across the state that they are, at least in their minds, preparing to have kids back to school in the fall, but also preparing for interruptibility and having to do things differently when you read now, and that's what you're talking about, changing every couple of days. Now we're talking about if kids come back, how do you keep them six feet apart on buses uh, in the classroom? And then do you do half and half? I just read an article on halftime high school. Are people considering that? Or at this part in the middle of May, Rourke, are, are they still waiting? They're not waiting, but they've got to consider all three angles, Gary. They, you know, they've got to consider a virtual environment like we're currently in. They've got to consider the hybrid environment that you just talked about and the implications of that for, you know, kindergartners or, you know, seniors. Sure. Then they have to think about the possibility of a total return. But you talk about things moving so quickly, you know, up to about a week ago, uh, there was kind of a strong feeling that the virus, you know, didn't didn't really have an adverse effect on children. And now we're finding out that it may have a severe effect on children, you know, on the second side of it. So that's going to be another concern, not just for school leaders, but obviously for parents and, and for kids. What you pointed out to Gary is just a perfect example of the unknown and why you have to prepare for so many different possibilities. Now, there's even some thought going around the country that schools would just be postponed until January. Do you think that has any bearing in the state of Iowa? We'll be doing some learning. I think the yeah. taxpayers, the, the parents, the students, uh, all educators expect that we'll be doing some kind of learning. And I, my hat's off to so much good work that the districts have done over the last you know eight weeks from mid-March to where we are in mid-May in their ability to, to kind of work through this. And this has also given them kind of a run-up about okay, what works and what doesn't, what resources do we need coming into the new year? The department, the governor's office, legislators, just everybody's kind of a full go on there. There will be required learning in the fall. In worst case scenario, it will all be done virtually. Right. So, Rook, I'm really interested in, in this as we just talked about what, what are the responses that school administrators have had to provide, and you've been listening in on those. My, not concern, but my interest is, you lead all of those people in some form, 
what is your biggest concern when you're talking with school administrators throughout Iowa, of which there's 2,000 or more? What's your biggest concern, and, and where do you feel you can have the biggest value to the state of Iowa? Yeah, my biggest concern is what all this has taken out of them. I think when you enter something un- unusual and and unique like this, there's a certain amount of adrenaline that gets you through kind of the first part of it. As things have continued to change and adjust, you get your second wind and you tap into another source of adrenaline. But at some point, there is no more adrenaline. I guess my concern is at the time that we're trying to make all these really significant decisions about what next fall looks like, our school leaders may be pretty wrung out. So that's my biggest concern. What our role in that, I think, is just to keep reminding them that even in this environment, maybe especially in this environment, that they need to take care of themselves so they can take care of others and to not let themselves get too far down mentally, physically, emotionally. Stay solution focused, not beat themselves up too much over decisions that they made that in the moment seemed right, that maybe now be very willing to rethink decisions and back off from some. I see one larger district in the state who had said, we're going to do all graduations virtually, just shifted that in the last couple of days and say, no, we're going to model what some of these other districts are doing. Continue to network people because, you know, there's some really good ideas in, in your area in Northwest Iowa uh, that haven't been thought of in Southeast Iowa. And so that's what we can do is connect those two regions and those ideas. And then of course, vice versa. I think in those ways, keep people's spirits up, uh, make sure people are connecting with each other, make sure that the communication is good, and just a continual reminder to take care of yourself. Get away from it mentally, physically, emotionally, when you get those few good breaks. Sure. We have worked, you and I, together for four years anyway on uh, the distributive leadership model that started with some executive coaching. And and that would be a good uh, opportunity for leaders to consider their leadership teams that have been built in the last six, seven years through teacher leadership compensation program, which has been very good and been a big part of that. So are there some expectations of normal that we need to let go as we work our way out of this, what I'm going to call and others call emergency remote learning environment? Yeah, and I hope so. The easiest thing so far has been uh, how quickly we dismiss the importance of standardized testing. We really got down to what is the purpose of schools? Well, it's learning. And so that's what we're going to focus on, you know, until we know exactly what's going on with this virus. That expectation of normal that we've had for at least the last 20 years, accountability is critical and schools should maybe look like businesses in, in the accountability world. That expectation of normal, I hope, has has shifted quite a bit when people really thought about what's important. I think our expectations of, of teaching have shifted. There are students that have absolutely thrived in this kind of environment, you know, as opposed to the, you know, traditional school environment. Right. There are teachers out there who have absolutely thrived in this environment. There's districts who have thrived in this environment. So the expectation that we bring everybody in and to one place to learn because that's the most efficient way for us to go about doing it. I think and hope that we're blowing that out of the water and saying that there's lots of ways that we can educate and provide learning uh, to kids and get them involved and their parents involved in their own learning. And that the expectation for learning 
no longer falls all on the school system and bringing kids into one place. I'm going to back a little bit from that and say, I still hope that we do that and do some of that. But the fact that all of that rests on the schools, I believe that that's changing daily. At the same time, schools are stepping up and, and continuing to do things like provide food for kids and, and so on. Right. Well, that, that's interesting because with that, Rourke, you, you spend a lot of, lot of time working with legislators and, and working with the governor's office to affect change through the Iowa Code. Those things would have to seem to me to be addressed if we take on a more personalized learning approach, specifically seat time or Carnegie units. We're still, right, uh, held to those through, through the State Department or the State Board of Education. Is this a good opportunity then for that conversation to make education more flexible? I think it is. The governor's office, the legislators, and the Department of Education, they have to have some minimum standards. I mean, they're they're essentially asking sure. taxpayers. But the how of that is usually left up to educators and almost singularly left up to educators. So if we can say, yeah, we're meeting all these expectations, but we're doing them in a different way, which I think is currently in the exploration phase that we're in, that's where I see a lot of excitement for education. So I think that they'll be fine with that as long as we can evidence that, you know, education and educators are still doing their job and preparing kids for their life after school. Sure. One last little story here is Northwestern College offered an online blended learning course in April, started in April, just as a something that some of the folks thought in our office that would be beneficial for teachers uh, just to be a help. It was a one-week virtual blended learning course, and there were a 1,000 people that registered. Well, that was a logistical issue in itself. So what that showed me is, and then there was a number of us that divided all that up and took sections of courses for a week and did that two separate times. What it reminded me of was the resilience of teachers, that they were willing to do whatever they needed to do to make sure they connected with their, their kids, their students. Many of them would respond, I'm scared to death of this course. <laughs> I don't know anything about technology. But uh, they did it because they knew that they had all this time that kids are at home that they needed to be able to connect. So it just showed me that teachers were able to switch gears, even professors at the college who have taught in a straight rows lecture type environment for years had to do a complete turnaround and that was nothing easy. So my point is, is that I find this resiliency really enlightening for myself that people can respond to the challenge. And you said it before, the adrenaline of having to make this switch probably was part of it. But now as we go on, they're continuing to do that. So I'm just really encouraged by the professionalism of people in education right now. So we are visiting with Dr. Rourke Horn, Executive Director of School Administrators of Iowa, in this episode of Transforming Education Leadership Lessons. Rourke, we go back a few years to Leading with Soul when you and my mentor, Les Dauma, led a statewide initiative really to provide working superintendents with a network for healthy leadership. And you've been a big proponent of that through Catch Life and a recent article that that you have written on that, of which I want to read part of it, because when I read it, I thought, that sounds just like the Rourke I know. But you submitted, somewhat tongue-in-cheek in the article, that a provision of a superintendent's contract 
does not need to say, the superintendent will work nonstop until obvious signs of poor health are obvious. Why do you feel so strongly about this issue of self-care? And there's obvious reasons, I know, but you seem to really have taken this personally, and you mentioned that earlier in the podcast as well. So I guess my question is, why do you feel so strongly about, about this issue of self-care, Rourke? Well, I think a couple of things. One, I, I lived that myself, you know, early on in the administrative career, just thinking that, you know, you're responsible now and you have to be all things to all people. And any question that came to the door, my first response was, well, how do I fix this as opposed to who should be addressing this? That's a whole different, you know, lens of things to look at. So when we talk to beginning principals, you know, we ask them to shift that lens as quickly as possible. So, you know, there was my own personal uh, journey. And then uh, especially becoming a superintendent and having more access to a bigger group of people who are in the same boat and watching them compromise their health. And then going on to the AEA, I think that that's when it really made a difference. I served 60 districts in North Central Iowa. So district administrative teams were kind of my area to look for. Just seeing so many, particularly beginning administrators, do what I did which is compromise their health uh, because they thought that that's was part of the job description. As, sure. as you said, that I wrote an article. So coming into SAI, when I interviewed, I just said, this is really significant to me. I will keep doing it regionally and what we've established up in North Central Iowa, unless you want it done statewide, but I, I won't accept the job unless this is something that we're going to focus on. And it turns out Dana Schoen, who I know you've had on podcasts as well, she was already definitely working in this direction. We as, a, as an organization were already there, and I think that maybe helped me get the job. So then it's really just been a kind of full-on push since then about messaging and providing programming and constant checking in. When somebody's dealing with something, we become aware of it. One of us will make a phone call, you know, how are you doing? Do you have the resources you need? That's really been my motivation, I think, is watching other people and knowing my own personal history and then deciding it doesn't have to be this way. And this is not good for, for kids and for teachers and for the whole learning community. So how do you provide self-care for yourself? Yeah, thanks. If I wasn't, that'd be what we call hypocrisy, right? <laughs> yep. Uh, so I've taken advantage of the programming that we've offered. So then the person that I hired to run our Implement Our Catch Life program, he said, like I did, I'll do it. I'll be glad to run this for you, but you have to take part in it. Yeah. And I honestly think, Gary, that was a, that, that certainly extended my life, you know, as far as health goes. I don't home office, except during these times, I have a little cubby hole that I work from. Uh -huh. But I worry about just that concept of, okay, well, I have an office at school and now I have an office at home. Well, do you have a home at school? You know, we have to make sure that people are really kind of sure. thinking through this, right? Yeah. So I exercise daily, uh, try to eat healthy, really try to focus on reading for pleasure because that's the, the hobby I enjoy. I enjoy working outside. I have a big yard that I get to spend time in. So th those are the things that I do to make sure that I can't be labeled hypocrite. Well, there has to be that balance. I would agree. And there has to be a time when you shut off email and you're not 24-7 to every, although it would be easy to do, to be 24-7 yeah. to every administrator in the state of Iowa. So good for you for being able to identify that. And, you know, from my work with you over the, over the years, there are some leadership traits that clearly stand out. Those would be humility, followed by 
wanting to do what's right for everybody when there are a number of occasions when you know that in these corners of the state that we're in, it's always going to Des Moines. And as you well know from traveling all over, you know, that, that takes a chunk of the day. And so therefore, it, it, can, it can thwart our own professional learning. And you've taken that on to where you've identified that and have really reached out. So that leadership quality of being reflective and then attempting to do things to better the organization I see that as a as a real trait that you have and in the communication that that you give is boy it's never delayed it's pretty efficient and I'm saying that as a lead up to somebody must have mentored you as a a young person or administrator and specifically what sticks out to you about the advice they gave to you Yeah thanks Gary I think we're all part of you know everybody who's touched us in some ways is consolidated within us and I think about the legacy of some of the great leaders I've had I hate to start mentioning names because I know yep. I'll I'll miss somebody and then feel bad about it later on but I think you learn something from everybody and this is again something we try to tell beginning administrators you know there are good examples of great behavior obviously Gary we've been friends for a long time I learned from you how one could always conduct oneself with integrity and professionalism. Thanks for the compliments before, but you know, you've inspired me to take a breath, think things through before responding. You know, I'm Irish and so I want to go and <laughs> yeah. uh, but you've helped me sit on it a little bit and you'll have a better response, I guarantee you. So I, th- I think that would be an example of how you learn from everybody, but one thing I would coach people listening to the podcast you can learn from their from the negative things they do as well too. Not every mentoring moment needs to be inspirational in the sense that okay, I'm going to be like that. It could be I'm not going to be like that. And I've had an equal share of those I think in my life where I say okay, maybe that was the right thing to do but that was the wrong way to go about handling sure. it. So you mentioned reflection, I think it's just any time you get an opportunity to reflect and think about okay, what was good about what I saw? What was bad about what I saw? And how can I incorporate that into my own work? Yeah. That's the best advice I can give. I know that you talk to varying classes of aspiring principals of which we have here, and, and I'm in charge of the principal preparation program. So um, you gave a little advice right there. Is there anything else advice-wise that you would give to aspiring principals? When you think about the job and think about the ideal job, knowing that it probably doesn't exist, but think about the ideal job and be careful to not jump into something that's just not going to work well for you. You know, typically your aspiring principals have families. So uh, oftentimes you're talking about moving. So that's a family decision right now in this environment, because we can't get the law changed, you're going to be under probation for three years. So what's the solidity of the environment that you're moving into? And probably the most important thing I think Gary is that when you move into that job, your approach really, I, I like to keep it simple, as you know, I think that it really boils down to two things. One is in that first first job, you're building relationships with people. That ought to be a main focus. Get out, talk to as many people as you can, listen, bring them in if they're willing to come in, uh, be available, accessible, approachable to folks, the three A's. That's a really important part of the job. The other thing is give yourself a break and understand that first year you're learning the job. Nothing can prepare you to be a beginning principal. There is nothing in the world like it. Your teaching experience, very little of it ports over to being a successful school leader. We think it does uh, coming into it, and then we find out very quickly that it doesn't. So true. So 
you're learning the job and that means relying on your resources, your mentor, professional learning, uh, give yourself a break if you make some mistakes. Those are all kinds of things I like to talk about with aspiring principals and just kind of seal in their minds just how important it is to go into with the right mindset. Right. We're visiting with my friend, Rourke Horn, Executive Director of School Administrators of Iowa in this episode of Transforming Education Leadership Lessons. So Rourke, what are you curious about right now in the field of education? I kind of like everybody else, I kind of like to have some knowns. I'm more amazed than curious, I think, about how well school leaders are, are working in this current environment. We like knowns and be able to make decisions on knowns. But the great leaders also, you know, can be can find that balance between being reactive and proactive. And right now, I, I'm afraid we're we're having to do too much reactive yep. with enough knowns to be proactive. So I'm curious about moving forward and what that looks like and, and how we handle this moment. I'm curious about the equity piece. This has totally exposed the issues that our students are dealing with when they come to us in regards to equity. How are we going to address that? Uh, that's something that I'm, I'm curious about. I'm curious about how we're going to attract people to the profession. Maybe this helps because maybe people who have said, you know, I'm not going to go in and talk about a can curriculum and test kids and I don't want to, and for low pay, I'm not going to do that. But maybe this catalyzes people and says, oh, well, maybe I get the opportunity to learn from students at the same time they're learning from me. I'm curious right now who's going to fill the void of, you know, our next cadre of teachers and leaders. So uh, those, those are some things I'm wondering about right uh, now. Awesome. So, Rourke, you're an avid reader, as you said, and it doesn't have to be scholarly if you are reading for pleasure. But what are you reading right now that might interest our listeners? Yeah, I've got a couple of books I, th I think would be pretty interesting. So I'm in various stages with all of them. One I finished, I think, which is really good. It spoke to me, and that's Permission to Speak Freely. And it's not a well-known book, but it's available on Amazon. It's by a guy named Doug Crandall, who I had the opportunity to uh, uh, visit with and, and listen to last year in a, uh, in a speaking engagement. And it's subtitled, How the Best Leaders Cultivate a Culture of Candor. One of my fears as I get toward the end of my career is that I haven't done a good job of creating environments in the organizations I've been in. Hmm. That people feel real comfortable about saying their viewpoint. In my mind, I have. But in reality, if I went back and talked to people, I wonder if their candor, what I took as candor, was more them wanting to figure out what I wanted and then give me that. Sure. Uh, so I have a lot of learning at the end, even at the end of them. Like, are you never too late, right, about what to do? So. On the equity piece, I'm reading a fantastic, uh, in the middle right now, a fantastic book by Tanishi Coates called Between the World and Me. This was recommended by our SAI equity team uh, to help, you know, Southern Iowa, white, Caucasian person like me understand other people's culture and experience. So that's been a, a tremendous eye-opener to me, which helps drive the equity piece. Uh -huh. Culturized by Jimmy Cassis. I love this book. I read it intermittently because there's so much good stuff in here that it's hard to take it all in at once. Yeah, you know, it's really good. Like, you know, a whole chocolate cake. Uh, <laughs> so when Jimmy first put this out, I grabbed it. And like I said, I, I read it when I need some dessert. The last one I have not started yet, but I'm excited about is The Four Disciplines of Execution by Sean Covey. Again, I had a chance to visit and listen to Sean. Dad was Stephen Covey. Sure. Uh, probably my all-time leadership books on, on The Seven Habits. This one, they, the four disciplines are 
focusing on the wildly important, acting on lead measures, keeping a compelling scoreboard, and creating a cadence of accountability. So those are all areas that I, I'd like to continue to grow in as a leader. So sure. professionally, that's where I'm at right now. Excellent. Rourke, thank you. You've given a lot of your time here, and I appreciate it. Good to see you. It's been a while. Good to see you too, my friend. Thank yeah. you very much for the opportunity. And thank you, Gary, for everything you've done for all of us across the state for all these years. You know, what a what an amazing uh, leader and mentor and friend been to uh, so many of us. So it's, it's all, all your work is just deeply appreciated if you're willing to take a compliment. If well, not, yes, Leslie and Joe can edit it out. But uh, I think I think it should stay. Well, I you you did get that check in the mail before this started. I I appreciate that, and we'll let you go. Take care. You too. Well, Leslie Rorkhorn, a friend of mine, just took off, and that was really fun. We've had some good guests along the way, and and this certainly is is one of those. So. Uh, what were your takeaways from today's conversation? Absolutely. Work gave us such good insight and, and really reflection on what's going on in the world of administrators and teachers and, yep. and the educational system as, as he plays a key part on, on many different levels and his experience. I think for all of us with the pandemic, the world of unknowns is no different for education and, and how administrators and teachers are pivoting in this time to respond. Uh, he spoke especially to self-care, which is something we talk about quite often uh, with multiple speakers. So we know it's important in this time we're working on adrenaline. And I, and I think you've experienced that. I've experienced that to, mm-hmm. to get through or over a hump. You know, we, we solve a problem or something like that and we, we spur up what we need to get it done. But how are we sort of getting into the rhythm and figuring out a more stable time of, of just taking care of ourselves through ups and downs and and all yep. those things. So that was good advice for, for him through someone who's been through all of that. And the word of distributed leadership came to mind again, as you mentioned, Gary, that we need to both empower teachers who can step up and take on yes. uh, other roles and those teacher leaders or who may even be priming for those positions that we don't even know. As work mentioned, some teachers are really thriving in this environment. And I think yes, we're learning are. a lot about how we learn, how students learn and and how to make that a more blended and individualized learning system, hopefully, that can be implemented as we go. We're, we're all curious how that will, will move forward. He highlighted a couple of great uh, advice points for aspiring principals and administrators. Yeah, I sure did. As they go into that first job, knowing that they have to think of, of also their family and know what's kind of the right area and place to even move make those big decisions you're not making it only for yourself on the solidity of that job as you're of course on probation for those first few years uh, that's just how it works right that's just a big decision to know that yeah i want to be a you made a couple good points there Mm, but one was you got to move so then you're and you're on probation so there's there's no confirmation you'll be there after a year Mm -hmm. and then you could be the best teacher in the district or in the state, and the jobs are so much different that you you may not be uh, once you get into that principal role. So I thought that was was really very good uh, astute on his part to bring that out. Yes, and number one, building those relationships when you get into that position, yeah. your first year and and probably beyond is is building strong relationships with your teachers, with your staff, with hopefully your your students and parents as well. But you're ultimately learning as you go. Nothing can prepare you, like you said. Yeah. Teaching is very different, so. Those are great advice as as aspiring principals go into their, their first positions.
And being the avid reader that Rourke is, he gave us three different books to take a look at. Yes, I've never written so quickly. Permission to Speak Freely by Doug Crandall okay. is his first book. Between the World and Me, Tanisha Coates, excellent on, on thinking of equity, especially just been ripped wide open to see what that looks like in right. schools. Uh, Jimmy Casa's Culturize, uh, excellent book. And The Four Disciplines of Execution by Sean Covey. We want to thank Rourke for giving of his time and sharing his wisdom as we reflect on leaders that inspire and influence education. Thanks again to all of you for listening to Transforming Education Leadership Lessons. We know that you have many options, and we appreciate you spending time with us. As a leader in education, you matter, and how you lead matters to a whole bunch of people that you serve on a daily basis. You were created for significance. As always, we thank Leslie for giving us the the recap and for being part of this production, as well as Dan and, and Cho is sitting in for Mike today, and we appreciate the technical help there. So... Until next time, inspire and influence.